Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everybody, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. This is episode number four of the show, and I am so excited to be back today. A great weekend in sports that we just had. Happy Monday. A lot of football that we watched, a lot of golf, the Masters were on, college football, It was a great sports weekend, and then it should be a great sports week also. Now, typically on the show, I will discuss a lot of different leagues. I'll discuss the NBA, I'll discuss Major League Baseball, the NFL, but this week it's strictly hoops because this is a huge week in the NBA. Today opened up the trade market. That happened at noon, just about an hour ago. And then on Wednesday's the draft, that's Wednesday night, and then Friday is when free agency starts. And before I get into the episode, I just want to say I had a plan for what I was going to talk about today. I had it all mapped out on my laptop. I knew my segments that I had planned. But then, as I sat down at my desk today to do the episode, I checked Twitter before I began, and Chris Paul got traded as I was sitting here. So now I am reacting live to Chris Paul, and that's where we're going to start. I had planned to start with James Harden and then move on to Dennis Schroeder and talk a little bit about the draft and free agency. But instead, we're going to start with the breaking news from just about 10 minutes ago. Chris Paul is getting traded to the Phoenix Suns. Now, this trade was rumored last week, and we had heard that Chris Paul had gained interest in going to Phoenix. Didn't really realize that that was a place he had at all thought he would go to. But then, I guess he he saw the situation there. He saw that they went 8-0 in the bubble and was like, all right, I guess I'll give Phoenix a shot if they can trade me there. So... I guess he talked with Sam Presti, the uh, the general manager in Oklahoma City, and he is now headed to Phoenix in exchange for starting point guard Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, who's coming off a great season, 18 or 19 points a game, Ty Jerome, first-round pick last year, and Jalen McHugh, who was a highly regarded prospect and a guy who really hasn't gotten a chance to prove himself in the NBA yet, but has a lot of athleticism and is pretty popular on social media so if you want to go check him out online, you can definitely see some of his dunks. He has, He's very athletic. He hasn't really got a chance yet to prove himself, but very, very athletic, as well as draft competition. I believe it's going to be a 2022 second round pick, right? Yep, 2022 second round pick. I'm just checking it here. So that's the trade, and Chris Paul is going to Phoenix. So let's begin with that. I guess this is going to be a playoff team. I really never thought that Phoenix would be... Something special under Devin Booker. I sort of thought that they were closer to trading Devin Booker than they were to being in the postseason, but that's not where we are right now. They look like the next big thing in the Western Conference. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton are one of the top trios. They're going to be one of the top trios in the league now. DeAndre Ayton just finished out his second year and is a double-double machine. I mean, he is a walking 25-12. and And then you have Chris Paul, one of the greatest point guards of all time. And the best player on this team is going to be Devin Booker, a guy who averaged 27 last year and 7 assists. One of the premier young offensive talents in the game. And it is now a trio there in Phoenix under Robert Sarver and Coach Monty Williams. Going to be a really fun team to watch in the Western Conference this year. I'm just thinking about the other teams in the West, and I'm thinking about who the top contenders are. You got the Lakers, you got the Clippers, you've got Dallas, you've got you got Nicole Jokic and the Nuggets, but you've got to put, I guess you got to put Phoenix right in that mix, maybe in the four to six range, somewhere in the middle of the conference. 
Going to the postseason, though, I, I, I would have to put them there right now. And, of course, injuries will play a part in this and chemistry and getting everybody fit together. But this team, from the looks of it, they re really seem like they're going to be a playoff team, a team that has a real chance to make some noise in the West this year. I expect Devin Booker to play in his first postseason and DeAndre Ayton to play in his first postseason because this team has some serious talent. And in addition to their big three, they've got some really nice young pieces. I really like Mikael Bridges, who they grabbed out of Villanova a couple years ago. They grabbed Cam Johnson, one of my favorite players out of North Carolina in the draft a year ago in the lottery. He is probably he was probably the best shooter in the draft last year and going to continue to improve. Played a lot of minutes last year as a young guy. This is a really nice team. A really nice team. Last year, they, they didn't they struggled in the regular season, but then they got to the to the bubble and went 8-0, and they're going to continue to get better as they get more experience. I'm just looking at the roster, and I like what I see here. You got Booker, you got Aiden, you got Paul, you got Bridges, Javon Carter, a get-in-your-face backup guard, a guy who's really going to be physical. Maybe they'll bring back Dario Saric. Aaron Baines played a big role for them as a big guy last year. He might get re-signed. So this is a good team. A team that has a real chance to make some noise. Elia Kobo is a nice young guard. This is a real team that has a chance to make some noise. Really. Um, a, a team that, to me, is is lacking in experience, and that will probably hurt them as they head towards the postseason. But could they upset somebody in round one as a five or a six seed? Absolutely they could. Because they can really score. And Booker, 27 points last year, will now play in an off-ball role for really the first time in his career. I mean, he had Rubio a year ago, but even so, he's averaged seven assists, played on the ball a lot. I think he can move now off the ball, focus on becoming more efficient somewhere, some, a place where he, he really has never been. He can focus on his three-point shooting, catch and shoot. He'll really, I think he'll really excel playing next to Chris Paul. This team, and, and as good as Ricky Rubio may be, had a glaring need at point guard. They just have, they've had that for a, a number of years already, ever since they let Eric Bledsoe go. And now they have a real chance to be one of the elite teams in the NBA because Devin Booker might average 30 points a game next year playing next to Chris Paul. And DeAndre Ayton is going to average close to 25, I think. He, he really looks like one of the emerging stars in our game, a guy who will make an all-star game sooner rather than later as one of the elite young bigs. And then you have Chris Paul. And, and, and you may remember two years ago, it looked like everything was over for Chris Paul. He was in Houston after the second year. And they dealt him for Russell Westbrook. This was just last summer. They dealt him for Russell Westbrook. Goes to Oklahoma City. Seems like a bad team. A bad situation. Heading towards a rebuild. And all of a sudden, that team was 16 games over 500 prior to the bubble. Got the 5 seed in the Western Conference. And took Houston all the way to 7 games in the first round of the playoffs. Chris Paul knows how to, how to lead a young team. He did it last year. He showed them how to win. And he put those guys in proper positions to excel. They were the best clutch team at the end of games in the NBA. And he really took Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Dennis Schroeder, who I'll get to in a minute, a little bit later in the show, under his wing. And taught, taught those guys how to be winners. Taught them how to be a really good NBA basketball team. And I think he has a chance to do that here. Devin Booker has a lot to learn. DeAndre Ayton has a lot to learn. These other, other guys that they have have a lot to learn. But to say that this isn't a nice start and a way for this team to get closer to its eventual goal of being a, a, a premier threat in the West, that they're on their way. And of course, they're going to miss Kelly Oubre, a guy who averaged close to 19 points a game last year, missed the bubble, was injured, but a player who came from Washington and a lefty, a creative game, a flashy game, a guy who can go, in go down and dunk on you, can make three-pointers. 
They'll miss him. They'll miss him on the wing. They're going to miss Ty Jerome, a guy who they drafted. I was pretty high on out of Virginia. Smart player, knows how to play. They'll miss Rubio, obviously, with his excellent decision-making, passing, playmaking. But when you get Chris Paul and you have a chance to become one of the elite teams in the NBA, you, you don't pass that up. You don't pass up a chance to have him and to form a big three with two young emerging superstars in Aiton and Booker. So really excited for Chris Paul. I think this is a great opportunity for him. Like I said, the trade was rumored a week ago, so this is not a shock that he's getting traded here. But I did think that there were other teams that would have a lot of interest in Chris Paul. I thought the Lakers maybe. I thought Milwaukee. I thought Milwaukee was the perfect place for him. But he's off to Phoenix. He'll have a chance to play with another young team and get back to the playoffs in the Western Conference. Was in the MVP race last year, and I think he'll have a chance to do that again and help Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton learn how to win in a league that is becoming so tough to play in with all these groups of superstars joining up together year after year. But I think the Suns have a trio that can match up against pretty much anybody. So good for Monty Williams, good for James Jones, the new executive there in the front office, and good for the Phoenix fans. They've waited a long time to be back in the playoffs. It's been a long time since Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire were dominating with Mike D'Antoni. But it's a new era in Phoenix. This really points to a new direction that they're headed in. They haven't, they haven't, they've been kind of a joke since Devin Booker came into the NBA five or six years ago. But this points to a new era and a new direction. So good for Phoenix, good for their fans, and I'm happy for Chris Paul. This is a great opportunity for him. All right, on to our next segment. This was supposed to be the, the lead segment in today's show, but turned out to be number two. James Harden, the former teammate of Chris Paul, actually. He looks like he wants out of Houston. Now, we heard rumors this morning that he has officially requested a trade. I don't know how true those rumors are, but we did hear yesterday that he is interested in moving on from Houston after eight terrific years and going somewhere else. And it looks like Brooklyn with the Nets is one of the places that he is most interested in joining. And it looks like he might have a chance to team up with his former teammate, Kevin Durant. Did the same thing with Russell Westbrook a year ago. Teamed up with a former OKC teammate. Maybe he'll do that again with Kevin Durant. And also join Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. And I want to talk about what would happen if these two, if these three actually joined up. And is it realistic? Like, can this actually happen? So if it were to happen, it would just be an absolute stunner. I remember watching the, the, the late football games yesterday... And I saw this rumor. This this uh, this rumor came up on my on my Twitter feed from ESPN. Adrian Wojnarowski, the great Woj, said that Harden's interested in joining, and I, I was stunned and shocked by it. But I thought about it, and I just thought about the possibilities of what could happen if these three guys were together. Oh man, it would be something special. Three of the best fifteen players in the world. I think it would be better than the Golden State Warriors big three with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant from a couple years ago. They also had Draymond Green there, but I think the three best guys were Steph, Clay, and, and, and KD. Would be better than that. Would be play play those guys play at an even higher level. And even though defense might be an issue, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but these three might be the best three pure scorers in the world. Kevin Durant, twenty-seven points per game for his career. James Harden, three straight scoring titles, averaged thirty-five points a game last year for the second straight season. Kyrie Irving, twenty-seven. Point four points per game in his 20 games in Brooklyn last year, and a guy who can average 25 in any given year. Three of the elite scorers. Isolation, uh, you know, doing it in terms of the pick and roll. These guys can score in any which way. Great shooters, can get to the line, get to the basket. 
They're all outstanding offensive players, good passers as well, all three of them. So it would really be an offensive juggernaut. And I think it would be a, a, not a great thing for the league, but a good thing to see in terms of just entertainment value. People are going to want to watch these three stars play together if they were together. I'm not a big fan of a Harden going there. I, I would like to see some more competitive balance like we saw a year ago in the NBA with these dynamic duos where you had two great stars on each team. You just saw another one uh, a few minutes ago with the Suns. You have Chris Paul and Devin Booker now. But you have Anthony Davis and LeBron. You have Kawhi and Paul George. You have Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray. You have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. You have Middleton and Giannis. Great duos across the NBA. Bam and Jimmy Butler. Great duos. This would be an elite trio. And from a talent perspective, they would just have more than pretty much any other team. And I don't think it would be even close. They'd be the, the heavy title favorite. And all eyes would be on them each and every game they played in to see how these two got, three guys would manage with egos and how they would even handle it with just playing with one ball. I mean, from a usage rate standpoint, these are three of the highest usage rate guys in the NBA. Each of them love to have the ball in their hands. They're ball dominant. And could they make it work getting to share the shots and getting some sort of a pecking order where one of the guys is the number one, one of them plays at number two, and then one of them is the number three guy? I don't know how that would all work. But it would be something really special to watch and something really fun to watch. Now, if they do trade for Harden, of course, the Nets' strength the last few years was their depth. They would lose a lot of their depth. Spencer Dinwiddie would be gone. Karis LeVert would be gone. Torian Prince and Jarrett Allen would be gone. They'd lose draft picks. They have a lot of those coming up, including the 19th pick on Wednesday. DeAndre Jordan might be gone also. Katie and Kyrie's friend. Uh, I think for salary matching, they may have to trade him, possibly to a third or fourth team. We'll see how crazy it gets. But the point is, the Nets the last two years have made the postseason because of their depth. And, and they've had a lot of really excellent players. No, no super-duper stars, really, except for Kyrie in the 20 games. But all guys that were good enough to be all-star caliber-ish players, guys who were really uh, fundamentally sound and, and worked together to play as a team. And they would obviously lose that, lose their depth and lose that advantage if they were to trade for Harden. But I do think that when you have a chance to put three of these three of these types of guys together, you do it. You obviously want to go for the go for the championship run and see how many rings you can win, however long it would go, uh, with three amazing talents like these. And it would be complicated, and it might not be easy to get the trade done. But you know, from just that perspective of would you do it? Would it be something that you'd not want to do because of of with the depth that you'd lose? No, absolutely not. You, you've got to make this trade if you have a chance. If Harden wants to come and KD and Kyrie sign off on it, they allow it, they want him. They want it to happen, they'll go ahead and try and make that trade. Now, will it actually happen? Even though these guys may want it, I just don't think so. December 22nd is when the season starts. They've got to fit in the draft and free agency starts this week and the trade market, obviously. All of this before December 22nd. The season is coming up really close now, only about a month away. Can they get such a complicated trade to happen prior to that? and then fit all the pieces around Harden and what and, and Durant and Irving, I don't know. That would be difficult because if you do trade for Harden, then all of a sudden the rest of your roster is basically made up of, I guess, minimum contract guys and some guys on rookie deals. They did make a trade for Bruce Brown this morning, a nice developing player from Detroit, a defensive-minded wing, a guy who started uh, as a second-round pick each of the last two years in his first two seasons in the league. So I guess they'd use him. They'd have to find some bargain bins on the market and see what they could do. But, you know, this would be a really complicated transaction, a, a trade that would be probably involving a lot of picks, a lot of different players, maybe three or four teams. It just seems kind of 
kind of impossible to get this sort of thing done in such a quick time frame, but maybe they will. Now, I also don't think that Houston really wants to trade Harden, unless Harden specifically asks for a trade and is really refusing to come back. I don't think they're going to want to trade him. He's their franchise icon. He's the guy they've built around. He's the guy they've invested so much into over the last eight years. They traded for Westbrook. They had Chris Paul. They had Dwight Howard. They've really tried all they all they could to to put a team around around a Harden that can try that can try and win a championship. And although they haven't, they've come close. I don't think they want to trade Harden. I don't think they want to trade Westbrook if if that situation does come about and Westbrook really does want out. We've heard that he does. I think they're going to try and want to run it back one more time, at least one more time, under a new coach and a new front office regime. I think they should just try and see how far they can go. Can they make a run at a championship? I know the West is going to be brutal. Now Phoenix is going to be right in the mix too. But I think they should try and give it one more chance, see how it goes. Because if you tread hard into Brooklyn, the 2021 season might be over before it even starts. That's how good those three guys would be together how much talent they would have. And like I said, it would be hard to manage the egos and see how, how many shots these guys are going to get. But talent wins in the NBA. Chemistry doesn't always always win out. And I think in this case, the talent there would just be so extreme that they nobody else would really have a real shot. They're going to win the championship in 2021. They'd probably have a chance to win even more than that. And so Houston should just try and, 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 and see if they can win a title this year. Give it one more chance, see how it goes and then move on after this season if, if everything goes south. All right, we're going to head out to a break. We'll be right back with more Schwartz on Sports. We'll talk some Dennis Schroeder as he just traded to the Lakers. That happened yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about the draft and free agency also. So stick with us. We'll be right back. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to only serve the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve from your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. We're back after the commercial break. Time to talk some more NBA, specifically Dennis Schroeder, as he got traded to the Lakers yesterday. That should be official by the end of today or tomorrow from Oklahoma City. A big deal in the league. This was the first major trade that we had heard about uh, before the, the market opened up a couple hours ago today. Dennis Schroeder is heading to the Lakers from Oklahoma City in exchange for Danny Green, who will probably go to a third team, and then the 28th overall pick will be going from L.A. to Oklahoma City in Wednesday's draft uh, for this year. So that's the trade, and it's a really big deal for the Lakers because they had a major need at point guard, and this is going to help them out uh, significantly. Dennis Schroeder is coming off a a second-place finish in the the sixth-man-of-the-year voting, 19 points and four assists last year, as well, he's a pesky defender. He can shoot from the three, 38% on five attempts last year. He was efficient from the field at 46%. It was his best ever season. He came off the bench full-time behind Chris Paul, who I obviously talked about before. And it was his best year, and uh, he's going to play a significant role with the Lakers. The Lakers had a need at playmaker. They had a need at point guard. You could see it all last year, despite winning the championship. They just didn't have enough in terms of guys who could create shots for themselves as well as others. 
This was especially evident when they lost Avery Bradley from the bubble. At times, they just didn't have enough playmaking, and they're going to have it with Dennis Schroeder, a volume scorer, a volume shooter, and a guy who can set up himself as well as his teammates uh, pretty much get anywhere he wants on the floor at any time. So a huge move for the Lakers and a big addition for them. Somebody who's going to be their sixth man, you would assume, next year and really give some assistance in the playmaking stand- from a playmaking standpoint for LeBron James and probably Anthony Davis also. Um, we could see it last year in the bubble, as I mentioned, that they just didn't have enough. Avery Bradley had opted out of the bubble. He wasn't there. He was, uh, per the depth chart, the starting point guard for the Lakers, although LeBron kind of played point guard most of the time. But Avery Bradley did help uh, with the playmaking, and then, and then Rondo did it off the bench. Rondo was hurt at times. Avery Bradley was gone. Uh, he played only in the regular season, so it really fell mostly on LeBron for a significant chunk of the playoffs, and it just it was hard for them at times to create shots and to get guys open looks because most of the players just can't create looks for themselves. Uh, so that's why it was a huge deal for the Lakers. Now they're going to have somebody who can really assist in that category and be a, a real boost to their offense, give them some juice off the bench also, and like I said, second in the sixth man of the year voting behind Lou Williams, uh, behind Montrez Harrell. So... Really a, a huge a huge deal. Now for the Lakers, next is what do they do to surround Schroeder, sh- surround LeBron, surround AD with competent shooting and some additional playmaking if you can. You've got to re-sign KCP. Contavious Caldwell-Pope was their third best player in the playoffs. You need him back. You need Dwight Howard back uh, off the bench as your center. You maybe want to trade Kyle Kuzma. You maybe want to re-sign Avery Bradley. The Lakers are in the process of reloading for a title run and they're going to have to make some additional changes, I think. The NBA is a league that once you win a title, it's always hard to win, hard, even harder to win your second one. The, the target is now on the Lakers' back. Everybody's going to throw their best shot at L.A., and they cannot be stagnant and make no moves. They have to make significant moves and significant changes to continue to win championships. Schroeder is an example of that. They'll continue to make more. Teams are going to try and wheel and deal and make moves in this offseason, make trades, make signings in free agency that are specifically designed to beat the Lakers. So if they continue to work to to better themselves for this season, it will only put them in, in an even more advantageous spot to win another title. Now in terms of what Oklahoma City is doing in this trade, just like trading Chris Paul, they get an additional draft pick. Uh, Chris Paul got them a 22, 22 first rounder. This trade gets them a 2021 20, first rounder. They now have 17 first round picks, which is just ridiculous over the next number of dra- a few drafts. Uh, so they'll have, I think, th- what, three this year, and then an additional three, I believe, next year. I mean, the, the amount of picks they have is crazy. They won't use them all. They'll probably trade a bunch at some point for another star, but they're they're not at that point yet. So they're into their rebuild officially. It was supposed to start last year, but Chris Paul said that's not going to happen, and he put them in the playoffs as the best player there alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Schroeder. Now the rebuild will start. Gallinari will probably leave, get a bigger deal elsewhere, and Sam Presti will look to start a new era in Oklahoma City. Chris Paul's gone and Schroeder's gone. They won't have enough juice next year to be a real threat, so they will probably be headed right for the lottery. Shea Gilgis-Alexander will become the best player on this team, and they will look to start a start a, a new chapter in the storied history of this franchise. They've only been there since 2008. But they've had Kevin Durant, they've had Russell Westbrook, they've had James Harden, they've had Paul George, they've had Victor Oladipo, they've had Steven Adams. Uh, so this is, they've had Chris Paul now. So this is really the first time they're going to be without a superstar, and they'll have to figure their way through that. But with the amount of picks that they have and 
the way that they have traded and and they basically own the entire future of the Clippers with all their first round picks. They have a ton from Houston. They have some pick swaps also. Now they have an additional from the Lakers. They have one coming from uh, from Phoenix. They have so many options for how they want to build this team going forward. And Sam Presti is a phenomenal general manager. He will figure a way through this. He'll figure out how to get this team back into the elite group in the Western Conference. And we'll see what other trades they make. Maybe Steven Adams gets dealt. Uh, maybe they make additional moves with veterans. But this is Shea Gilgis-Alexander's team. And it is time for them to move on without Dennis Schroeder, without Chris Paul, see what they can do as a young team. And eventually, sooner rather than later, with the amount of picks they have, they will be back in the playoffs. They'll be able to use Kelly Oubre now that they have him. They'll have Ricky Rubio to be the point guard. So this is a new era. It's a new chapter. But at the end of the day, it was necessary. It was needed. They had to start fresh. It just got delayed a year with Chris Paul. And now they will be fully engaged in their rebuild. Good for the Thunder, you know. It was tough after all these years of losing in the playoffs and they lost in the Western Conference Finals, only made it to one NBA Finals. At some point, you need to reset everything. You need to try again, start anew. And this is their opportunity. All right, so on to the draft. Uh, I want to give my top 10 prospects, but just want to first say I am really excited for the NBA draft. I love the NBA offseason. It's usually in June. This year, it's in November, which is just shocking. But here we are, and I just love the draft. It's so fun to follow these prospects, see these kids in college and you know wherever they come from, internationally, wherever, and follow them through their through their youth and then see where they end up and uh, watch them as they enter the NBA. So I'll give my top 10 prospects, do that over the next few minutes, and then I'll go through some of the best free agents and talk about where uh, I think they will end up going. So let's start with my number 10 prospect in the draft this year, Tyrese Maxey. 14 points a game at Kentucky, a skilled player, a, an instant offense type of a guy who's going to come in and be a silky smooth scorer from day one. UK combo guards always seem to work. Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, these guys always seem to find roles in the NBA. Although he's small, he doesn't really fit either guard spot necessarily, and he's not a great shooter yet, he will continue to get better. He's a really electric player as a scorer and an offensive creator. He'll be fine. I really like him. Number nine is Aaron Neesmith to me. Uh, played only 14 games last year, but he had 23 points a game in those 14 games. The best shooter in the draft, 52% from three, which is just a crazy number. It's only 14 games, but still, 52% from three is crazy. He is the best shooter in the draft. Love him as a shooter out of Vanderbilt. Ideal size, six foot six as a wing. He needs to work on his playmaking, but the shooting will work, <clears throat> and he will play up and become a high-volume shooter in the NBA. Number eight, Obi Toppin, an athletic four, strong and powerful roller and a finisher. He's efficient. He will be effective in a smaller role. He's versatile. He'll learn. He'll need to learn to shoot. He'll learn, he'll learn to defend. But he kind of reminds me of Brandon Clark, a really bouncy athletic guy who can come in and in 20 to 25 minutes a game, make an impact. He did that with Memphis last year. And I think Toppin will be the same type of player from day one. Number seven, Isaac Okoro. An Auburn wing, six foot six. He's the best perimeter defender to me in the draft. Sort of reminds me of a Kawhi Leonard type, a guy who is just so long and athletic on the perimeter. It's really hard to get by him. He's very strong. He's just not very good offensively. He can't shoot, lacks aggressiveness. He's pretty quiet on the offensive end, only 12 points a game last year. And he's not a shot creator. So he might be Michael Kidd Gilchrist as a guy picked at the top of the draft who never finds their way offensively, but is a great defender. He might turn into Kawhi Leonard, where he is a phenomenal defender and a great offensive player as he develops, or somewhere in the middle. We'll see. 
I think he can be closer to that top-end guy as he develops. All right, next for me, number six is Denny Avdija. 19 years old out of Israel. Very smooth stroke, but very, very raw. I take really nothing away from his stats overseas. Averaged like four points a game last year. But at the end of the day, when you're 19 and you've got that talent that we have that we've seen in flashes, it's evident that he's going to be picked at the top of this draft. He's got a natural feel for the game. He's very, very skilled. And he's played against professionals for a number of years overseas. So it may take time. He may have to work things out early on. But I think he's got the ability to be an impact player in the game once he develops and sort of figures his role. Uh, it might take a little while, but he, he might get there. Number five, James Wiseman. The most intimidating specimen, physical specimen in the draft. He only played three college games in Memphis before the whole scandal and... That was a mess, but he shot he shot 80% from the field in those games on 19 points with 11 rebounds. He is really a crazy athlete uh, and a skilled player down low. Doesn't have much defensive versatility at this range at this point. Not much of a shoot, not much shooting range, and really no low post game. But he's going to get a lot of easy baskets off of putbacks and dunks and lobs and, and and offensive rebounds and plays like that. He'll put up big numbers. I think from day one sort of like a Hassan Whiteside type, an Andre Drummond. It might not translate into winning, into a positive impact, and we've seen that with a lot of players similar to him. But uh, he's going to put up numbers, and he's going to be an impact player, I think, from early on in his career. Number four, Onyeka Okungwu, a guy I really do like. I think he's actually the better center prospect in this draft compared to Wiseman, although he's shorter at 6'9 compared to Wiseman's like 7'1". I think he's more versatile. He's got better length. He's more quick, he's a better athlete, and he's very nimble. So that's, that's a big thing in this league. Can you defend multiple positions? I think he can. Uh, the guy he's being most compared to is Bam Adebayo. And if there's one thing that describes Bam, it's versatile. He can come out and guard wings. He can guard, he can guard point guards on the perimeter. He can block your shot underneath. He is a really phenomenal defender, a guy who, to me, will win multiple uh, defensive player of the years. And that's what Okungwu is being compared to. I really like that. He doesn't have a great offensive game yet, but neither did Adebayo. Maybe as he learns and comes out of USC, works a couple years in the league, he'll improve as a screener, a guy who can roll to the basket, pass out of pick and rolls, maybe learn to shoot even a little bit. So if he can develop and become the type of player that his prototype would tell you, then maybe he'll be a star. We'll see, but I really like him. Number three, LaMelo Ball, the biggest question mark in the draft Everybody knows his name. Everybody knows his family. Everybody knows his story. But does that actually work in this league? We'll see. Lonzo Ball, it's been sort of up and down for him in his first three years. And I think even though LaMelo is more talented, is it going to work? I will. Uh, it's just a tough question. He is a brilliant passer like his brother. He's big like his brother. Six foot seven, a very tall guard. And he's going to be a thrill to watch. But that doesn't necessarily lead to winning. Even though he may take 40-foot three-pointers and play in transition constantly and throw really cool alley-oops and do all that and just be really flashy, I'm just not sure it's going to actually translate. He, he doesn't know how to shoot yet. He has a very strange shooting motion like his brother. He shoots it from very low on his chest and he pushes it up. Is that going to actually work? I doubt it. He'll have a problem creating separation and defense is going to be a disaster early. He is long, and he has the ability, I think. I think his body type would tell you that he has the ability. But will it actually translate? Will he actually learn and 
pay attention and focus on it and continue to drill himself until he gets to the point where he is confident, we'll see. He seems sort of like a happy-go-lucky type, a guy who's not really buttoned up but just uses his overwhelming skill level to beat you. That doesn't actually make you successful in the NBA. You have to really drill yourself and, and focus on it, and I don't know if he'll do that. But if he does, he's got every every ability in the world and, and a guy who could really be a, a multi-time all-star and a superstar if he, uh, if he improves on his deficiencies. Number two, my personal favorite player in the draft, not the number one prospect, but my personal favorite player, Killian Hayes. He reminds me of James Harden, and I talked a lot about Harden in the early segment. I love James Harden. He's one of my favorite players in the history of the NBA. The way he dribbles, the way he shoots step-back three-pointers and sidesteps as a left-hander, it is so hard to defend. Hayes is similar. He's a lefty. He's extremely crafty. He can pass the ball. He can run pick and rolls. He can play in isolations. He averaged 12 points and six assists last year in the German league coming out of France. Uh, I really like him just as the way just as the way he plays offense from his crafty uh, scoring and passing and then the way he defends. Apparently, he's a much better defender than Harden was at that age. And so we'll see if that plays up into the NBA. That's a really encouraging sign if it does. Without a consensus number one prospect in this draft, you just got to kind of pick who you like the best. And to me, Killian Hayes has a really high ceiling, and he's the guy that I want my New York Knicks to draft, if I'm being honest, at number eight. We'll see if he's available. I, I don't think so, but he might be. And then number one, the best prospect in the draft is Anthony Edwards. I don't even think this is a question. For me, It's I think it's obvious. He is a natural-born scorer and an advanced shot maker. Not a great three-point shooter at this stage. Most of these prospects that I just went through aren't. But still, he can make difficult shots. He can make turnarounds. He can shoot out of the post. He's a very skilled player and a strong player. I think this is maybe his best attribute. He is 6'5", but he's 225. He weighs, he, he weighs a lot for, for that size and is going to be almost like a bulldog, a Kyle Lowry type where he's going to drive into you and you're really going to feel it in your chest when he bangs into you and creates contact. He is going to improve defensively. He has all the ability to do that. But the offensive brilliance is already there in flashes. And as he gets better, he'll just continue to be more consistent as a shooter. And I think he can put up big numbers in the NBA once he develops. And I just want to go through my one sleeper. My one guy who I think is going to be a second-round pick, not even a first-rounder, but a guy that I absolutely love is Cassius Stanley. Now, I'm not a Duke fan. I can't stand the Duke Blue Devils. I don't like that program. But at the end of the day, I watched a lot of this kid in college for his one year. And I was very, very impressed with what I saw. He's 6'6". He's the most explosive leaper in the draft. Didn't put up big numbers. He was the third option on his own team behind Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. And I think most people have those two ranked ahead of Stanley in their draft rankings. But I think that this guy has the chance to be the best pro. And uh, he kind of reminds me of the next Donovan Mitchell. A guy who's going to play shooting guard. A guy who can shoot a guy who can get to the basket. He's extremely athletic, a really explosive leaper, and a guy that I just absolutely love in the NBA. Someone that I think is going to be an absolute steal once he gets picked, probably in the second round. Uh, maybe even goes undrafted. We'll see. All right, we'll be right back. We'll do uh, one more segment at the end. Just want to go through my free agent fits. Going to go through some of the best free agents in the class this year and talk about where I think they will end up once it is all said and done in the next couple of weeks. We'll be right back on Schwartz on Sports. 
This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Hoff and Pepper Hot Sauce. Handcrafted with farm-fresh jalapenos and habaneros, Hoff's original Hoff sauce has gone on to win numerous awards and gain international recognition. Hoff and Pepper always strives to create sauces and seasonings that enhance flavors with balanced heat profiles. Every one of their handmade products is manufactured in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is naturally vegan and gluten-free. Shop today at hoffandpepper.com, and when you enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, you'll save 10% off your purchase hey everyone final segment of the day here on Schwartz on sports we're going to go pretty fast through this but it's going to be a pick them in terms of free agency i'm going to go through the best free agents and pick where i think they will land in the next couple weeks as free agency gets kicked off on friday it'll be a little bit of a speed round so we'll go through these very fast let's begin with danilo galinari and i should say before i begin I will not be talking about the guys who are obviously not leaving their current teams. Anthony Davis may opt out of his player option, but he's not leaving the Lakers. Brandon Ingram is a restricted free agent. He's not leaving the Pelicans. So I'm only going to go with guys that I know have a shot to go elsewhere. Maybe they won't, but they have a shot. All right, let's start with Danilo Gallinari. The fantastic power forward was in Oklahoma City last year. I think he'll go to Miami if he takes a short-term deal. Now, they always, they've had plans for Giannis in Miami. That's really what the plan has always been for Pat Riley. But if they can get Gallinari on maybe a two-year contract, maybe $50 million or so, he's probably over $20 million per season, then I think he could go there. If not, I'd love to see him in Dallas. Kim and Chris Epps-Porzingis as the 4-5 would be a really exciting combo of two Europeans who can shoot and are fantastic offensive players. All right, Fred Van Vliet, the great point guard in Toronto. I think he'd be a fit with a number of lottery teams, including the Knicks and Pistons, if he really wants to cash out. But he can also stay in Toronto and make a lot of money there and also win. And I think that's what he'll ultimately do. Four years and $85 million or so would be a good number for him, similar to what Malcolm Brogdon got a year ago. I think he'll stay with the Raptors. All right, Montrez Harrell. I was going to say he might go to Phoenix. I thought that was a good fit for him. And I'm still going to pick that, even though Chris Paul was there when I made this prediction yesterday. I thought that uh, I didn't know about Chris Paul. I do think he'll go to Phoenix anyway. They have a whole power forward, especially off the bench. They could use some extra juice. Four years and $60 million, maybe $70 million would be a good number for Trez. He'll probably leave the Clippers. They'll need to replace him. Maybe Jermichael Green will play more minutes, but we'll see. That'll be a tough loss for the Clippers. Now, Marcus Morris will stay with the Clippers, the guy they acquired from the Knicks at the trade deadline last year. They'll sign him to probably 15-ish million a season, three years, 40 million, maybe 45 million, something in that range. He's a very good player, a great shooter, and he works well with Kawhi and Paul George. Serge Ibaka, uh, tough one for me. The, the really, really for me, the hardest one to pick. I think Brooklyn's a great fit. If they don't get Harden, they won't be able to afford him without Harden. If Harden, like if Harden's there, they won't be able to afford him. Uh, if he if he does want to go somewhere else though, maybe Houston would be a fit if he wants to play with James elsewhere. Houston needs a center. Ibaka fits that role. He can shoot. He can roll to the basket. He can block shots. If they decide to run it back in Houston and bring back Westbrook and James, they could decide to bring Ibaka in, their former teammate in OKC. And obviously Tillman Fertitta would want to have would have to pay the luxury tax for the first time as an owner. He's never done that, but he's going to have to at some point, and now it would be the perfect chance as they make one last run at it if they decide to. Jordan Clarkson, I think he'll stay with Utah. He was a great fit off the bench there behind Donovan Mitchell and Conley. Three years, 45 maybe, 15, 12, 15 million a season would be a good number. I expect him to stay. Goran Dragic, a really interesting 
case. I think he's going to stay in Miami. I do think he'll, he will stay after the finals run last year, but I, it'll have to be on a short-term deal. Like Gallinari, he'll probably have to stay for just one or two years. Maybe a one-year bloated contract that pays him a ton of money for the one season, but that's it. Probably a one-year $25 million offer, if that's really what he wants to do and stay in Miami. If not, there'll be suitors for him all over the place about teams that need guards either off the bench or in the starting lineup. But uh, I think Miami is the best place for him. He can try and win a title. Carmelo, I think he'll stay in Portland. Watch out for the Lakers. There's always, always interest between LeBron and, and Carmelo to play together. But um, Portland was a good fit for him last year. He seems to love Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard seems to love him back. So a one-year $5 million offer may be all he gets. Jeremy Grant, another guy I think they will want to keep where he currently plays. Denver loves him. They got him last year from Oklahoma City. He started for most of the postseason after playing off the bench in the regular season, and he was really a postseason hero for this team. Got to the Western Conference Finals, had some huge scoring games, can make threes, a five-position defender. I love him out of Syracuse, my, 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 favorite, my favorite college team. I think he'll stay probably $15 million a season over four years. Paul Millsap, they will, they will, they will decide to, to part way with Paul Millsap. The, the, the Nuggets will decide to choose Jeremy Grant over Millsap, and he will leave probably a minimum player at this point. Maybe Boston as a guy off the bench. They need, they need help off their bench. Houston, if they decide not to tear it down, would be a fit on a, on a small deal. Uh, he's a good player, a former all-star, but somebody that probably leaves where he's at now and finds a new home. Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Very interesting. The third best Laker in the playoffs, and apparently he's open to leaving. I guess he wants to find bigger contracts elsewhere. But I think that ultimately he'll decide to stay. Three years and $50 million might be a decent offer for him. I don't know how, how much money he'll get, but uh, about $15 million a season is probably a decent number, maybe three or four years, and I think the Lakers are the best place for him. He can start there, and he can be the third or fourth best guy they have. Joe Harris, definitely to me leaving Brooklyn. He is the number one priority with the Nets, but at the same time, they have an expensive team and they may be bringing in James Harden if that all works out. If that happens, he's obviously gone. I think a great place for him would be Charlotte, a bad team with money to spend. He can get a starting spot there again, probably three years and 40 million, about what Patrick Beverly got last year as a shooter, a complimentary player. And this is a bad team. They've got money. They, they can afford him. Dwight Howard, another Laker. He's going to stay two years and six million. That's all he'll get. Just about a minimum deal, a little bit more. He's a good bench player, but he's got to fit into a specific role. And at this stage in his career, it's not about money. It's about winning. Christian Wood, one of my favorite developing players in the NBA, had a great year last year with the Pistons. He was with New Orleans before that, never got a chance to play, was stuck in the G League. Everybody knew he had talent, but the minute he found a significant role in the NBA, he made it count. And he dominated in the second half of the year with Detroit last year. I think he'll get $15 million or more a season. Something maybe the Knicks will want him. I've heard they're interested. He'd be a nice player to, to start and have him uh, as one of your main guys in your starting lineup. Four years and $70 million might be the type of offer he gets. I mean, I know that sounds like a lot, but he's young and the Knicks have plenty of money that they want to dole out. So he might be a fit with the Knicks. Davis Bertans, another developing power forward center. He was great with Washington last year. The best big man shooter in the game. Uh, 15 points a game last year with the Wizards as one of their young core players. And I think he'll probably leave. I don't know if the Wizards will be able to keep him around with Wall and Beal on massive deals. 
I think he'll probably go to Detroit. He can start there uh, alongside Blake Griffin at center. Maybe he'll come off the bench and then eventually earn a starting spot at some point. I like him a whole lot. He's great at a Latvia, and he'll get a big deal, probably four years and $70 million also. DeMarcus Cousins, he will go to the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal and John Wall seem to love him. He was Wall's teammate in college at Kentucky. And coming off these major injuries like Boogie has, he's probably just a minimum player at this point. The Lakers have rumored to be interested, but I think a place where he can start would be the best spot, and the Wizards will probably give him a starting job if he goes there. Hassan Whiteside, uh, three years and $60 million with Golden State. I've been talking about Hassan Whiteside to Golden State for a while. The fit is obvious. I love him there. I think if he played alongside Stephen Clay, you would get the best version out of him that, he, that we've ever seen. He was very good in Portland last year, but he's not going to stay there with Nurkic back. So he's going to have to go elsewhere, and Golden State has a need at center. Perfect fit for him with the Warriors. Final player I'm going to get to, Rajon Rondo. I think he's going to be the Clippers' backup point guard next year. We heard that there's rumored interest with him in the Hawks, the Clippers maybe, maybe uh, other teams will get involved, but the Clippers seem to be the favorite, and I think there's no reason why they shouldn't sign him. He is a fantastic bench piece, especially in big playoff games. We saw how he helped the Lakers win last year. I think two years and $18 million is a good number. A short deal for a guy up there in age, and most nights isn't going to do much for you. But in big moments where you need it, and the Clippers do need playmaking, he will be there and he will shine. All right, that's going to do it for me for the show today. Uh, I'm not going to do a winner because the episodes run a little bit long. But um, a good episode, a lot of fun talking basketball. I love the NBA offseason. The drafts this week, free agency, the trade market, I love it all. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again next week once uh, all this plays out and we'll see who goes where. I hope everybody has a good week and uh, thanks for listening today.